praise you for who you are. The great, the great I am. Amen. Praise be to the Lord who is the great I am. Able to do all things exceedingly, abundantly, above more than we could ever, 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 ever ask or think. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. And I welcome each and every one of you to this church gathered at Forest Baptist, whether in person or via the live stream. Thank you for being with us this morning. And it is glad to be back before the family here in the house once again. Thank you for your prayers as the Lord provided many traveling mercy as we were on the highways and byways. Thank you for uh, how you have checked on us again. And I'm, I'm really excited to be uh, here this morning, uh, not just because we get a chance to worship together, uh, because the Lord has saw fit to allow us to, to come into his house of worship one more time, one more time. We never take that for granted. One more time. But I'm also excited because this morning we are concluding our study in the gospel of Matthew. The king has come, journey through the gospel of Matthew with Jesus. And this is the conclusion to a three-year trip. Now, off and on, we popped in and out of different studies, different books, but our, our, our foundational text for the last three years have been through the, the gospel of Matthew. And today, we, we wrap that up and look forward to what else the Lord has in store. So I, I'm excited about God's faithfulness and all that he has taught us. And as we come to these closing words of Jesus here, uh, recorded in the gospel of Matthew, here we have a, a, a culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry. In these last words, it's, it's like the crescendo at the end of a song that uh, helps you to reflect back on everything that's been discussed already. And as we have, as a congregation, walked through the Gospel of Matthew together, we have witnessed so many different things, so many different things that we can glory about. We have, uh, we have witnessed that the King has come and his divine message has been repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? We have witnessed that the king has come, and, and unlike everyone else, he has successfully passed through the wilderness as the new and greater Israel. The king has come and, and gives us a greater word than Moses from the mountain and his Mount Sermon on the Mount. The king has come with complete power over sickness and disease, over the winds and the waves, over all satanic forces, and even how he has power over death. The king has come. The king has come to condemn all religious hypocrisy and to liberate his people to worship. And the king has come to crush sin, to crush Satan, to crush death by laying down his life and taking it up again on the third day. This is where we find ourselves. And as we have witnessed these things, Jesus is saying, now it's time for the witnesses of these things to go and tell the story. If you would, with me, grab your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew, the 28th chapter. 
Matthew, the 28th chapter, our focus is primarily on verses 16 through 20, but because we are closing out this entire chapter, I would like for us to read the entire chapter get together, verses 1 through 20. Again, we'll be focusing on verses 16 through 20, but we'll be reading together verses 1 through 20. If you are able, please stand with us in a reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was white like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb where with great fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders... And taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's eye, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Lord, a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. I'd like to place a tag upon this morning text simply. All disciples are called to go. All disciples are called to go. Why don't you pray with me? Oh, beloved Father, we come in the name of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please come. Please give insight and clarity. We can go nowhere without you. Holy Spirit, please impress upon our hearts the thrust of this text that all disciples have been called to God. 
Father, help us to be obedient disciples. Help us to be faithful disciples. May we glorify you through our daily obedience to your word and to your commands. Father, we can do none of this apart from you. So please touch our hearts. Please relieve us of those daily burdens that we may hear from you this morning, that we would see Jesus. Father, please help us to cast our cares upon you because you promised that you are faithful and that your grace is sufficient. Father, we believe that. and We're trusting in that right now. So, Father, please speak, and may we, your servants, listen. Father, please, by the power of you, Holy Spirit, take my weak words and use them to refresh, restore, renew, revitalize that we would repent, and that we would come running, that we would say, send me, <laughs> I'll go. Send me, I'll go into my job. Send me, I'll go into my school. Send me, I'll go into my family. Send me, I'll go into my community. Send me, I'll go into the highways, into the byways. Lord, may we be a people who are willing to be sent. Help us to do your bidding. For you are the great I am. Thank you, Master. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. You know, it was in a previous study that we did, uh, what is the mission of the church, that I used this particular analogy. And I think it's, it's helpful, again, for us to, to hear this and to think about it. To, to think about it. Um, and then as 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 right now, we, we talked about a hammer can be used for a lot of different things, right? We could use a hammer and try to use it as a fly swatter. We could take a hammer and use it as a nutcracker, crack walnuts, whatever. We could, we could take a hammer and do all kinds of things with it. But the perfect purpose for that hammer is to nail nails in wood or, or whatever. The, the purpose of that hammer is to, with this long wooden handle and steel head, it has been perfectly uh, equipped to drive nails in the places that they ought be. Uh, but even so, that, that hammer has been designed that even if you get the nail crooked, you could turn it around and yank it out because it has been designed and its purpose is to help you to nail nails. That's why it's been created. And, and we said then and I say today the same goes for the church. Uh, the church can be used for many things. The church can become a social gathering, a, a, a social club that you pay membership in and you go to feel a certain way about yourself. The church can be used as an entertainment venue that when you're down and out, you come just to uh, get a word and be excited, to be encouraged, to go out and just be happy about yourself. The, the church can be a place where we come and, and we look at everybody else in, in a such a way that we put them down in order to lift ourselves up. The, the church can be a whole lot of things, but that's not the purpose of the church. The mission and the purpose of the church is to go ye therefore and to make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. The, the mission of the church is to make, mark, and mature disciples for Jesus Christ. But understand, when we say that's the mission of the church, we're not talking about the building that's located at 4500 Petersburg Road. We're talking about those individuals who walk in and out who are called the church. The, the church, this building doesn't actually become the church until the, the doorways are open and we are ushered in to worship. The, the church doesn't become the church until we choose to be God's people for his purposes. This, this, this gathering, this assembly of, of the called out ones, we are the church. So just as a hammer has a certain purpose and the church has a certain purpose, you and I have a certain purpose in life. And we have been created for God's glory, and he has so chosen that he would be most glorified when we go out and make much of him. As Christians, we can live for our own personal piety, just learning and, and reading so we can uh, uh, be more holy, so we can be more smarter so we can be educated. We can pursue Jesus because we're just good at it. It's our knack in life, and people think we're good at it, so we keep doing it. We, we can be uh, 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 people who show up just because it makes us feel good about ourselves. This morning text is not about you. It's not about me. It's about fulfilling our purposes as, as disciples of Jesus. Our big idea is simply every disciple of Jesus has been called to make disciples for Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus has been called to make disciples for Jesus. The Great Commission is a great call for all Christians. Every Christian is to be a disciple maker. Did you know those two words, disciple and Christian, are just synonymous? They're just synonyms because every Christian is a disciple and every disciple is a Christian. We're not talking about two different categories of people. We're, we're talking about the same thing. However, many Christians have taken the Great Commission to be the Great Suggestion. And beloved, this morning, my desire is not to lay a guilt trip on anyone. That is the least of my desires. I, and I, I want to be very gentle. And I want to be very truthful at the same time. Because the truth is, the truth is many of us have taken a hands-off approach to discipleship. We've... Uh, created a system in which we really don't have to put in work, but we want others to do the work for us in making disciples. We have uh, boiled down this great commission of going to make disciples by simply, now this is a good thing, but this is not the only thing. We have boiled down this great commission to just inviting people to go to church. And if I can get them to church, then maybe the pastor can disciple them. And if I can get them to church, then maybe the deacons 
can disciple them. If I can just get them to church, maybe the trustees can disciple. Maybe somebody there, not me, but somebody there can pick up and, and the sacrifice to make disciples. We've taken a hands-off approach, but not only have we taken a hands-off approach, we've, we've made this a, a, a tiered approach to Christianity. Like, to make disciples, we, we make it seem like there's like this entry-level Christian where you just come and you just get fed, and there's another level Christian where you may come a little bit more and, and you actually know your books of the Bible, but then there's, there's this elite level, this, this, this SEAL Team 6 type Christian who, who's actually serious about the gospel, and they actually know John 3.16 by heart, and they actually go out and call people to be drawn to Jesus. They're, they're, the, they're the ambassadors who have been given the, the ministry of reconciliation, and they actually call people to repent and be saved. <laughs> All Christians have been called to be disciple makers. Am I lying? There has been such a lack of discipleship in the church where people utterly by God's grace, <laughs> come, hear the gospel message, and are saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then people get saved, and then we expect them to figure this Christian thing out all on their own. Am I lying? Think about even your own walk in discipleship. How many people can actually say that when I became a Christian, Somebody in the church came alongside of me, taught me how to pray, taught me how to read my Bible, taught me what it means to be faithful, taught me how to love Jesus more today than I did yesterday. How, how, how many people can actually say that? It breaks my heart that for so many years, We've been doing church our way and not God's way. And my greatest desire, as long as I continue to have breath in my lungs, I, I would no longer to be disobedient to what Jesus has called us to do. And as a church, I, I believe that this is the only way forward. This is it. I've said it before, and I will say it again. Gone are the days when a superficial Christianity will keep you in this world. There is too much chaos. There is too much hell outside not to be ready for it on the inside. And in order to prepare the next generation of beloved, beloved, if I could say anything about force is that we have some faithful seniors. We have been built upon a faithful foundation of Christians. They may not have got it all right. They may not have done it perfectly. But, beloved, I believe they've been doing the best they can with what they had. And if, and if we're going to see another generation of faithful Christians come this way, guess what we got to do? Make some disciples. 
Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying any work that you have been doing to make disciples haven't been working or that we don't have disciple makers in the mix or that we don't have new disciples. But, I, but I'm saying overall, when you think about what it means to make disciples, have we been faithful? Disciple making is not just what Christians do, it's who we are. This is why Jesus says here in verses 16 through 20 that every disciple has been called to make disciples. Look at the text in verse 16. It says, the 11, went to, uh, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Here we have the disciples, the 12 minus 1, right? Minus Judas. At this point, Judas has hung himself out of the sheer guilt of sin, of betraying Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And now the 11, they, uh, they have received word that Jesus, that the resurrection has taken place, and Jesus is going to meet us at that location where he said he was. And we don't see in the text exactly where, but Jesus had already told them, when such and such a time has come, this is where I want y'all to meet me. Jesus was already ready. But notice as they go to meet Jesus, they meet Jesus up on the mountain once again. Beloved, all throughout Scripture, whenever you see somebody going up a mountain, they're going to talk to God. Not only did Jesus, the greater Moses, dis dispense a, a new command, a, a, the new commandments of, of the Sermon on the Mount to the people, Jesus right now is giving them another command from on high with full authority because of who he is. And, and on this mountain, he gives them another commission. Go and make disciples. And some of them said, uh, the text says, some of them worship. They, they see the resurrected Savior and all they can do is worship and adore him. And it says, but, but some doubt it. What does that mean? It, it, it can mean a couple different things, but it, it, it can mean that when it says some doubt it, some of the 11. And we think about like Thomas and his doubts, unless I see his hands, unless I see the scars. Uh, it may have been all of the 11. Uh, it, in those terms, it would have been more of a, uh, a fearful, a, a we've never seen this happen before type, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? Uh, it could mean that not only the 11 was there, but there was some of the, the 500 possibly that there and, and, and in the crowd that some doubted. But, but ultimately, there's this worship taking place and Jesus, knowing their hearts, he, he, came, he comes to them. Beloved, if I could even pause right there, even in the midst of your doubt, Jesus is willing to come. Even when you're about to fall off, even when you're about to fall out, Jesus is he's willing to come. He says, and Jesus came and said, he's willing to come and speak to you. How they say in the midnight hour. He's willing to come to speak to you. And he comes and he speaks to them. But he, he doesn't reassure them by, by patting them on the back and say, baby, it's going to be okay. He doesn't come and say, everything's going to be all right tomorrow. Uh, uh, he doesn't come and say, all of your hopes and dreams are going to come true. He doesn't come and say, you can live your best life now. No, when he comes, he declares who he is. The, 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 the way that he settles their fears is by reminding them what has just occurred. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You, you, can, you can chill out because I'm the king. 
It's going to be all right because I'm the king. And, and what Jesus is declaring that there are certain implications of the resurrection that has taken place. Because Jesus has got up from the grave, he, he, has, he is a walking validation that everything that he said he was or who he is, he has accomplished. And God himself has placed his stamp of approval on over his ministry and all of his work. This is that why where in Ephesians 1, the 19th verse, and the immeasurable power, which was, which was given, he says in, in verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and dominion and above every name that is named. Why, why is Jesus placed above all authority and all power and all dominion? Because of the resurrection and because of the measure of power that was granted to him in the resurrection. This is where, this is, this is, this is why we quote Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's the crucifixion. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has all authority because he got up. And because he has all authority, he is, he is commissioning them. Now you can go. Beloved, this is a greater authority than what Satan offered in Matthew 4. Remember in Matthew 4 when Satan says, look at all the kingdoms. I'll give you all of this. And, and Jesus says, nah, Satan. Nah. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait my turn. I, I don't have to have it my way right now. I, I'm going to wait and fulfill the Father's plan because in your plan is just the kingdoms of the earth. But in his plan, I have the kingdoms on earth, the kingdoms in heaven, and the kingdoms of all the universe. All authority has been given to him, this Jesus. But, beloved, in my, this was the first time really in my, it's, it's my ignorance. It's just simply my ignorance because this was the first time in all of my studies that I realized Jesus' words here is really the fulfillment of Scripture. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. Because in Daniel, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 13, Daniel prophesied that I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. That, that, that's that old school name for Yahweh, the Ancient of Days. And, 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 and was presented before him, in verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
So when he gets up and says, I, I have all authority uh, in heaven and on earth, he says, my kingdom has come and can't nothing stand against it. And because can't nobody stand against me, if you belong to me, can't nobody stand against you. It's an everlasting kingdom. All authority has been given to him. And, and now, because you are walking in my authority, because you're walking in my name and with my message, with my declaration and, and, and my decrees, because of not, not go. Go ye therefore and make disciples in light of who Jesus is and the authority given in him. That's why we go. If Jesus has done anything for you, if Jesus has cared for you at all, at any point in your life, if you can look back over your life and declare the story of what God, if he's done anything, therefore we go. Because if he can, rest, if he can rescue you, wait, first of all, I ain't going to talk about your situation. Let's talk about you. If he can take the no good, the nobodies, the broke down, broken in heart, the cast off, the marginalized, the oppressed, the less than, if he can take them and do something with them, wouldn't you want every other less than, every other nobody, every other no good, low down rat? Wouldn't you want them to know what Jesus can do in their life? That's why we go because of, because of who I am. And not only because of who I am, because what he did. Oh, Lord, he, he brought you out. He, he brought you over. Sometimes he, he brought you through. He, he brought you under. It, 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 where you said there's no way, Jesus says it's my way. Where did God bring you from? If he's able to do that in your life, huh? if he's able to do that in your life, why would we not want him to do that in somebody else's life? Go ye therefore because of who he is and make disciples. What Jesus is actually saying here is, 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 is pretty unique. Because up until this moment, the, the method, the responsibility of making disciples was left to the religious elite. Up until this point, in order to be made a disciple, you would have needed to go to the synagogue and to sit up under the rabbi. And you would have needed to follow the rabbi in order to be made a disciple. So only those scribes and Pharisees, those, those the educated, the highfalutin, the intellectual, you would have to get into their elite circles in order to be made a disciple. But what Jesus is saying, he is snatching that, uh, that task of going and make disciples from the religious elite and giving it to regular old folks. Old, uneducated fishermen, craftsmen, 
tax collectors, zealots, loud mouths, hotheads, prideful, glory-seeking brothers. You in there somewhere, and I just keep going. He snatched that glorious responsibility out of the religious elite's hands and give it to regular old folks like you and me. Oh. What greater, what greater privilege, what greater call is it to communicate the gospel to someone and see their soul snatched out of darkness? And brought into the marvelous light of Christ. What, what greater joy is it to see someone marching in a straight line to hell? But the gospel taps them on the shoulder. And they turn around and look. They see the exalted glory of Christ Jesus. And he said, why would I choose the pit of hell when the gold of glory is staring at me right now? And they turn around and you see their life transformed only by the mercy. What greater privilege is there? This is what Jesus is saying we get to do. Huh? He doesn't say we have to. He says we get to. And then he has the nerve to say that this call is limitless. He says, make disciples of all nations. Remember Matthew the 10th chapter 6 verse where Jesus sends out the 12? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, and go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, don't, don't stop in Samaria. Don't talk to the Gentiles. He says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. So, previously, the, the disciples, their efforts were limited to just Israel. But what Jesus is doing now, he's saying, now it's time to go to everybody. All nations. Good nations, bad nations. Rich nations, poor nations. White nations, black nations, Asian nations, uh, wherever. No matter what side of the tracks they were born on, I want you to go. There's no limit to the going and there's no limit to the making. No barriers and no boundaries. Even in that, did you know even that call is the fulfillment of Scripture? In Isaiah, the 42nd, I mean, it happens more, but we were just in Isaiah. Isaiah 42 and 6. In Isaiah 42 and 6. God is speaking, and he says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To do what? To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoner from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. 
I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This has been prophesied that the fact that, that God will use his people to be a witness uh, to the nations, that they no longer have to worship pagans and, 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 uh, th that have no life in them, but they can serve the living God. But not only that, Jesus fulfills his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, he promised Abraham, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and I will bless other nations because of you. The other nations are about to be blessed because Jesus says, go ye therefore make disciples of all nations. Beloved, in, in making disciples, every Christian has the privilege of seeing God's promises fulfilled in the life of others. You know, as a father, there is no greater joy than for me to see the dreams of my children fulfilled. There, there's no greater joy to, to, to hear of their academic accomplishments. There's, there's no greater joy to, to see their progress. There's no greater joy to see that they're doing life well, they're, they're succeeding. There's, there's no greater joy. But what Jesus is communicating to us, that there, there should be no greater joy than for us to see people turn to Jesus. Nothing else should matter. Every disciple has been called to make disciples. That's the main part. The remaining portion is simply how do we do it? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Like, so there's this baptism and there's this teaching. Right quick, really, if it, if it can be boiled down, you can say, there's this evangelism and equipping, baptizing and teaching, evangelism. Because in order to be baptized, one has to hear the gospel message. See, we, we in the 21st century see baptism as a rite of passage. Like you get a certain age, you go to church, you're just supposed to be baptized. That is not true. Baptism is an a an announcement, a proclamation that I no longer live for myself, but I live for the one who died for my sake. Baptism is the sign that repentance and conversion has taken place. We see this in Acts 2. After, after Peter preaches, and the text says, and they're cut to the heart, and they say, what, what, what do we need to do, Peter? We done heard this glorious gospel about who Jesus is. What do we need to do? He says, repent and be baptized. Be converted. Be, be transformed. So, so the discipleship process begins with evangelism. People need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But then, so disciples are made through evangelism, but disciples are made by equipping, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you grew up. You don't know everything it is about Jesus, and you can learn something new. First Corinthians 3 reminds us of some of our situations. First Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. But brothers, I uh, could not 
but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. So he's saying, you, you, you've come to know Christ, but you just, you haven't, you haven't grown in Christ. We should be talking about other things, but we, we, we still need to talk about these brand new things. So this is an understanding that every one of us, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we, we, we all start on the bottom floor. We don't, we don't come in with some type of wisdom and knowledge. But just like a baby is fed with milk, when that baby drinks the milk, the baby begins to grow. So the teaching that's taking, that takes place within the context of discipleship is how a person grows and they shed off the immaturity. How do you know? <laughs> what are some signs of immaturity? Like you look out, you, you see immature people physically, right? What are some signs of a spiritual immaturity? I ain't calling nobody names, so don't accuse me. But signs of spiritual immaturity could be ease of frustration, lack of patience, Selfishness, laziness, irresponsibility, rudeness, lack of cooperation, lack of accountability, lack of transparency. We can go on and on. But basically, where, where you don't see that manifestation of the Holy Spirit visible. But Jesus says, teach them and teach them all. Teach them everything I commanded you. Does not John 17, 17 says, uh, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We need truth. That's our milk. And that process is both formal and informal. It's, it's formal in the sense that there may be scheduled times where we get together, but really, discipleship is more of an informal process. Let's just get together. Let's pray. Let's read God's word. Let's hang out together. Let's do life together. You know, all of this, this, this sounds good, right? <laughs> and if it were that easy and convenient, then every Christian would be doing it. But there are hindrances to this. Fear is a hindrance. Fear of, I don't know what to do. Fear of what they may find out. Some type of insecurity. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Pride is a hindrance. What they going to teach me? I don't need nobody in my business telling me what to do. I'm grown. I, I, and I always say, if somebody got to tell you they grown, they ain't grown. Fear, pride. I don't want nobody in my business. It's my business. And then sin. I don't want them to find out who I really am. Beloved, don't you know who you really are? If, if you are in Christ, was placed on his, his back at Calvary, like the, the worst of who you are was crucified with Christ. Stop living with that burden of trying to, to create this, this existential reality of yourself that everybody is approving of. If Jesus approves of you, then you're, you're approved. 
You don't have to worry about what they might go back and say, did you know? Did you see? You ain't got to worry about that. If Jesus says, you are my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. When when does God say that? If we are in Christ, then his life becomes ours and our sins are crucified on on, on Calvary. Then if I'm his, when the the clouds cracked open and the the dove descended and and the voice from heaven declared, uh, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. If, If he says that of Jesus, he is saying the same thing of you if you are in Christ. Free up yourself from all of that. But Jesus does one better because he says, if fear price, if anything is hindering you, you know what? Don't worry about it because I got you. And he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you. You ain't got to worry about being by yourself. You, You don't have to worry about walking through the valley of the shadow of death all by yourself. As a matter of fact, by me saying, <laughs> and Isaiah, Isaiah begins with this. He begins with God with us. He says, behold, a virgin will bear forth a child, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. And he finishes up Matthew. He says, I am with you, Emmanuel, God with us. So, so all of this salvation, all of this relationship with Jesus It begins with him and it ends in him. We are never at a point in our relationship with Christ where we're without him. There's never a point where you just say, well, I just got to work hard. I just need to do better than maybe Jesus would be. No, he says, I I am Emmanuel, God with us. I'm with you. Lo, and not just today, not just tomorrow, not just next week, not just I'm with you until the end of the age, until until the calendar won't turn no more until that that clock comes to an ultimate stop and there's a transition from from this age to the next age that age where that at at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that that age where we will see him face to face and experience him both physically and 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 mentally in all ways that that age where there the sin will no longer hinder my worship that that age where there will be that land of no more that that age where we will bask in his glory forever and never get bored I'm with you I'm with you you can do it process of making disciples or discipling can be boiled down to this. One disciple helping another disciple follow Jesus. It takes time and it takes patience. But discipling is one disciple helping another disciple follow Jesus. Beloved, who are you helping follow Jesus more faithfully? Who are you helping follow Jesus more closely? Who's helping you follow Jesus more faithfully? Who's helping you follow Jesus more closely? For us, this is who we're going to be. Disciples who make disciples for Jesus. Because every disciple of Jesus has been called to make disciples for Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for this challenge. Thank you for the conviction. And I pray, Lord, that you will lead us to repentance. Father, please forgive us for failing, failing, utterly failing to make disciples. Father, please forgive us for utterly failing to be disciples. Father, I pray that you would give us soft hearts, moldable hearts. Father, please keep us from running away when, when you are trying to use your people to disciple us. But help us to realize that in you, the great I am, there is no more fear. There is no more pride. There is no more sin. And Father, right now we can cast our cares upon you because you're faithful. So Father, please bring revival here to this place that we would walk in obedience. Father, it's not a matter if we who made professions of faith are disciples or not. The only question is, will we be obedient disciples or not? Father, please humble us that we would be moldable in your hands and that many will come to know the resurrection power of Jesus, able to bring them out of spiritual deadness into life because you have so chosen to use this church to be a disciple-making church. Father, please have your way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Beloved, today, just a little different. We won't specifically have a call to discipleship, but if you're here, there's never been a time where you've become a disciple of Jesus, where you've never surrendered.